0: Welcome to episode 56 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane and we are amateur astronomers. That means we do astronomy just for the love of it. And this podcast is one of the ways that we share that love with you, people who are also interested in the nighttime sky. Happy Thanksgiving, Shane.
1: And happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. Yeah, you're sounding well. Yeah, well better than what 5 or 10 minutes ago. Uh we started the day with some technical problems, but I think we have it all figured out.
0: Yeah, um you were you've uh, got a new device there and uh you were trying to troubleshoot it and I was giving you some some uh you know, I guess critiques and feedback on how your sound was, which wasn't great and then I kind of was thinking this is almost too bad to be true, and started looking on my end to to see if I had any trouble, and it turned out that I was also you were experiencing microphone issues, and I was actually experiencing internet issues here, and had to um, reestablish my connection to uh, to my Wi-Fi router. So uh, anyway, we're happy to be running here. We're only really like fifteen minutes behind schedule, so uh, that's not too bad. And people may be wondering Thanksgiving.
1: Wait, <laughs> what? But, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That, it's a month early for some. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh,
0: here in Canada, we uh, actually have Thanksgiving. Uh, I think it's typically like around the thank uh, second weekend of October.
1: Yes, yeah, and I think our American friends to the south, it's usually the second or third weekend in November, maybe. Yeah, I, mean. I think
0: it's it's a little bit further along there.
1: I've yeah, yeah. I've
0: actually been. I should know because I've spent Thanksgiving. And celebrated Thanksgiving in the states a few times, so I feel kind of embarrassed that I don't know that, um, as I as I probably better should. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I will say this: I gotta I gotta hand it to our friends to the South. I have never had such amazing Thanksgiving spreads that they put on. Are it it truly is um, belt breaking? Let me say that, or belt busting? Maybe is the way to put it. Uh, yeah, pretty phenomenal, phenomenal spreads down there by our, by our good, good friends to, uh, to the south. So uh, yeah, um, we had our turkey yesterday. Are you, Are you having turkey? Are you doing any family get togethers or celebratory activities?
1: Uh, two, two sort of reduced activities. Um, my wife's, um, mom and stepdad are coming over today for some Turkey. Nice. Uh, but you know, keeping the numbers low so we can do some of the, you know, proper social distancing and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's smart. Um, and then tomorrow we'll visit my family, uh, probably do like a little outdoor walk. Uh, they live cool. in a small town just outside of the city here. And yeah uh, yeah, where we, where you and I like to observe at White Butte trails is yeah. where we might go spend some time tomorrow during the daytime. So yeah. Looking that's forward a, to it
0: all. Yeah. Beautiful spot. I mean, you and I have met up there a couple times uh, during the pandemic and it's, uh, you know, we see other people out there as well. It's a, it's a nice spot, easy to stay uh distance from, uh, from everybody else. So, uh, yeah, Rebecca made the Turkey and, uh, boy, when she first started making it, I was really nervous. Cause, uh, they do what's called, uh, like, I call it the two-hour turkey. So typically when I was growing up, my mother would get up early and she'd be, she'd be cooking up a storm. You'd be spelling that turkey bird while you were eating your eggs at breakfast. Um, but Rebecca would be like, oh, when you want to eat? And I'd be like, what is going on? And she just does two hours in the oven wow. and just adjust the heat accordingly. And uh, uh, I'm not any sort of culinary expert. I, I can't say that we're not completely fracturing many Uh, many food health guidelines here. We're certainly staying in line with the, uh, with the pandemic uh, ordinance, but uh, uh, boy, I've uh, eaten some pretty pink birds over the time, but I'll tell you, they taste really good. And (laughs)
1: the
0: the trick is just to heat it up enough to kill that bacteria. And then uh, apparently it's safe. We've I've actually, I have been sick eating Turkey um, before that other people have cooked. I'm probably eating more Turkey now that Rebecca has cooked and I've never been ill from any of her, her turkeys, even though I got to admit there was one time when I sliced in and it, and it did start to bleed a little bit,
1: but you know, never get sick. So (laughs) you're you're a braver man than I,
0: (laughs) let me tell you live life, taste Turkey.
1: All right. So apologies. And that, that concludes our our cooking (laughs) culinary podcast. (laughs) That's
0: that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, her her cooking skills are are truly out of this world though. So, uh my apologies to our listeners. You may have noticed that our last set of podcasts were a little bit delayed. Uh it was uh my fault. I gaffed on those podcasts and had to, we had to get them repaired. Uh they were gaffed beyond repair it turned out. So, uh anyway, so they're they're up now. Thanks so much Shane for for loading those and uh yeah, let's like hop into some observations. How was your
1: week? Um, busy again uh, in you know the the day the daytime hours. You know, real real life was kind of busy, um, and we didn't have great observing conditions this week. So I really only managed one night out with the telescope. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a complete loss, but. You know, it would, what kind of like, here's the good and bad of having a really, really good observing session. Like you, you and I had about a week ago that we talked about on, I don't know, I think episode 53, yeah, 54. Um, the bad side of having such a great session like that is even when you have like a mediocre session, it just seems so poor in comparison. <laughs> and um, that was my Friday night. Um, yeah. You know, the, uh, I took my, my little 76 millimeter out, um, with that Q extender. Uh, I can't remember how early I started probably around nine thirty. 30. Yep. And at that point, Mars is visible, but it like with some buildings that are, you know, near my, uh, backyard, I was really just looking right over top of the roof of, uh, this two story building. Mm-hmm. So the seeing The seeing looked bad and I don't like seeing that night wasn't great, but it was especially bad at this point. And I think what I was uh, experiencing was uh, the rooftop just radiating heat, you know, as the Mm -hmm. cooling was setting in, which, um, you know, we've never really talked about that. Like when we talk about good seeing and bad seeing, I think we've only really referenced like atmospheric seeing, Mm -hmm. but there's definitely like localized seeing conditions as well which adds another layer of complexity to, to all of this. And I was certainly experiencing some very poor localized seeing due to me looking right over a rooftop. So I, you know, you and I were texting and I said, I'm, I'm going to give this probably another 45 minutes. Uh, I'll go inside, warm up a little bit and come back when Mars is a little higher and I wouldn't have to deal with, um, that radiating heat. Mm-hmm. So Uh, What I did in the meantime, too, is I spent about 20 minutes looking for Neptune uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I kept saying I want to do this and I was 100% unsuccessful again. And, um, you know, part of this, like where where I observe from in my backyard, the limiting magnitude is kind of interesting, you know, like overhead, I'm probably around like a 4.2, you know, Mm -hmm. or four and a half roughly, Mm -hmm. Um, but 30 degrees and lower. Like, I probably lose another magnitude. Um, yeah. And, and where Neptune is, like just underneath the Perseus there, um, I wasn't able to see any stars, like to, to start star hopping and work my way towards Neptune. Yeah. So, you know, I like there were some faint stars that I was trying to navigate from. And then I just was like, well, I think it's in that general area of the sky. So mm-hmm. I put some wide field eyepiece in and just started scanning. And um, like I say, I was, I was unsuccessful.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and part of me wanting to talk a little bit about this is, you know, some of this stuff, even for two, well, for, you know, for, you know, an experienced observer like myself is, is challenging to find. So, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody is out there looking for Neptune and you haven't found it um, or, you know, anything that isn't super obvious naked eye, don't get frustrated if you don't find it. It happens to all of us and it, it can be challenging sometimes, especially in the city or yeah. under less, you know, less dark skies. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. For sure.
1: So after all of that, I went back to Mars um, and the scene definitely had improved. And again, I, I relate that to the roof issues I was having. But I was able to see Certus Major Planum or Planum uh, Herschel uh, Cerberus Dorsa, I think. (laughs) Um, And I I don't know if you noticed this, but I kind of think there is cloud potentially on the western limb. Um, I felt like there is like just a slight whitish tinge again on that limb, and I'm hoping to find like a, a nice photograph from that night to confirm or or you know telling yeah. I'm just imagining things
0: well well do you, do you mean like the uh let's see do you mean like the northwestern limb
1: because the, oh. there was
0: there was some clouds yeah. sort of up to the north like and for me anyway i i found it was a bit of a strange angle just like our positional angle to mars and maybe just the way i had my telescope set so i was a bit uh, like angular i was i was a bit uh disoriented so but yeah I saw I saw the polar hood and it definitely did extend down in that direction so uh because I noticed I've noticed before that it's almost like the cloud starts out on it it looks like it's on the western limb and then it kind of I I don't know whether it's just the rotation of Mars or what but then it almost it almost moves or shifts up into the north Um, but I have noticed that from time to time before so
1: yeah yeah yeah. so you know overall like seeing wasn't great that night and it was one of those nights like early on when I saw how bad it was I was like I'm just going to take the telescope inside there's no point oh yeah um but I'm glad that I left it out because even though the seeing wasn't fantastic. I feel like I still had a decent view of some surface detail on Mars. Like it's just so big right now that even under less than ideal conditions, there's, there's uh, enough detail to make it interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think like I'm a little bit more open than you are um, for my observing area in my backyard. So I have a heck of a lot more light. Like I will not even bother saying what my limiting visual magnitude is. There's virtually no point. Um, but when the planets are up, I can see them. Like as soon as basically a planet is clear of, of horizon garbage, like once it's up five or six degrees, I get it, you know, and I can see it from at least some spot on my property. Um, so that's, that's my prime advantage. I figure I'm in a city anyway. I'm not going to be doing much deep sky observing. I'm going to be observing planets. So that was one of the leading, uh, attributes of, of this home that, that we have, but yeah, for deep sky. Uh, no, I'm, I'm locked out of deep sky um, But because of that And there was some gusts of wind uh, The the seeing was very, very poor And then um, periodically I would even get little wind gusts in my yard Which is the high fence And it would just kind of move the telescope around Just enough And we're at high power, right? Like I'm running at 214 power Whatever it was uh, 214, nope uh, it was just rocking around too much. So I ended up using, I think I ended up using uh, in between powers, like around 125 to like 175. I tried 175 for what It was too bad. Went to 125 and it was usable. So what, what power were you at when you were observing it?
1: Um, I was at eight millimeters. So just around a hundred and what would that be? 130. Uh, Something okay. Yeah.
0: So that's about where I end up settling into, probably probably in the high 120, I think 126 or 129 or something. So it it seemed to hold okay at that point. But even still, every once in a while it would like what I call etch a sketch around or something where it would just almost like jitter around, almost like a full or, or half of a Mars diameter. Um, which really, I mean, it was it was I could see the features, but they were just moving around so much that it was, it was bad. Every once in a while I get a moment of good seeing, but I, I started out quite a bit earlier. I, I put the telescope out basically at sunset or just after, and then uh, went out and had a good look at Jupiter for a while. Oh, yeah, okay, And yeah, it was strange because even though the telescope hadn't fully cooled and, and I was, I do have some houses in that direction now. Sort of to be clear on the way that I have to set up, I, there's houses and other buildings that around, but I can move around. But typically what I do is I pick the best spot for my main object of the evening, which is Mars. But that's not the best spot for seeing Jupiter and Saturn, but I could see them for a while. Like that's how open my, my area is. I could see them until they're going to get too low to observe anyway. So it's mm-hmm. not a bad spot. Um, so it was just above some houses and, uh, I did have some turbulence say around, around the top of those houses, but I could still see the great red spot, uh, right on the limb. I was like, I think that's the spot. Um, and I thought, is it rotating on or off? So I watched, I think, I think it's rotating off, ran inside, checked my software. Yeah, sure enough. That's, that was the red spot and it was just rotating off the limb. And then I observed it for another while because I saw another big eddy and, uh, I should have sent you the link. I I sent it out to the Astro Sketchers list.
1: And I saw that the the Chris Go
0: yeah the Chris Go and and it it doesn't it didn't look as prominent in that image as as it did to my eye anyway. But I could see this large almost looked like a false red spot, and it was like about three times the size of the red spot. I think. So that was cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the neat thing with Jupiter is, is that dynamic cloud environment. Like it some things are kind of there all of the time, like the gray red spot, but even yep. that evolves with color and size, but sometimes these other festoons or, you know, major storms kick up and, and they become something that we can observe and watch evolve nights, Uh, and, and sometimes even within the evening, but, um, more, more so over, you know, multiple nights or weeks.
0: Yeah. And, uh, sort of as, as a little bit of a side note, I was talking to, um, one of my nephews and, uh, He's really into hurricanes and storms uh, oh. right now. He's, he's pretty obsessed with those. So uh, anyhow, uh, he's got all like the statistics memorized from all the major hurricanes that have hit uh, the Eastern seaboard over the past hundred years and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, he's just in elementary school, so it's pretty impressive. He, he got obsessed with hockey a few years ago and had all the statistics memorized. Like, I don't know how people do that, but. Now he's into hurricanes like some people would be into hockey and he just seems to be accumulating these, these different things. Um, but he's quite mathematically uh, oriented. So, um, I was telling him about observing this, this, uh, large hurricane storm on, on Jupiter, which he actually knew about and could, he started citing off like the wind speeds and how big it was and everything. I was pretty impressed. I had no idea that he had sort of picked up on, on this stuff too, but, uh, when I started telling him about like seeing clouds on Mars, he was really, really blown away by that, so I think I sent you an email on uh on that as well, but anyway, so that was that's sort of a side note, but it was it is kind of neat that that you can see these storms and uh and clouds on, on these other planets so had a good view of Saturn and the rings you could see some of the banding uh on the planet could see the Cassini division, but it was all sort of like. Just what you expect to see, but nothing really more like nothing, nothing really more. But, you know, I really think I need to get an observing chair.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. a game changer for sure. Um, yeah. You know, I've been using that Burla one that I purchased in the spring. Yeah. And that mount, that Sky T mount that I have is, it has the slow motion controls for both axis. Mm-hmm. It, you know observing mars at high powers in my little 76 um is so easy to track and observe and it's largely because of that chair you know because yeah. i can just be comfortable and f- kind of divert my energy and attention to just keeping mars in the field of view and my eye is so stable you know because i'm i'm seated i'm not kind of wavering as yeah. i stand it it yeah i i highly recommend a chair to anybody yeah i think
0: that's actually the difference between our observations there on on Friday night Um, just you know like I find it not too bad to stand I actually prefer to stand much of the time uh, for observing I find I sit most of the day working and uh, you're you're a taller individual than I am so I think that may play into it as well Um, because sometimes you're like oh this telescope is killing my back and I'm like what do you mean it's the perfect height (laughs) yeah Yeah, it does it does hurt my back like if I'm
1: hunched (laughs) over it yeah I can only take a couple hours of that and I'm done yeah
0: Yeah, I can, I can understand that. So, uh, but combined with like the little bit of wind and the, uh, the bad seeing and the standing, I think was just, it was just too, too much on, on Friday. So, um, but yeah, it was neat to get out and and take a look at those. But, uh, yeah, I think the, the observing chair, uh, is likely, likely the next thing, uh, for me, I think I'm also going to get a cover for the, uh, for the scope and mount, just because like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like 20 feet away from the telescope. I can actually see it, uh, sitting in my living room and I have a, you know, it's reasonably secure, uh, my yard. There's only one way in and one way out. It's going to be pretty noisy. If someone's like, you know, I'm looking at them right there. It's not going to, it's not going to be a big, uh, security issue. Uh, so anyway, but I like to set it out there just as, as the sky is cooling and, uh, and and let it cool off but I kind of want to put a cover on because as you know like people may not know this like in other places it's more of the dew uh, here you're fighting a little bit more with the dust mm-hmm. uh, you know like we don't need to use dew shields here I I got rid of my dew shields after I moved here it's just not necessary um, but everywhere else i lived you really need to have a big long dew shield on your refractor otherwise your lens will will sort of uh, mist over uh, pretty quick uh, but that doesn't happen here. I've never had that happen here. I don't know if you have, but it's never happened to me anyway.
1: It's, I've come close. Um, yeah. But more so when we're observing um, at Grasslands East Block, because where we observe, we're sort of in a little bit of a depression. Like oh, yeah. North when
0: Valley. we get the fog and.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. You know, Certain conditions. The, yeah. 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 Like it, you really yep. have to be in the kind of the wrong place at the wrong time to
0: do. Yeah. To, yeah. yeah f- fair
1: enough. But I, I don't think it's worth the extra. Annoyance of
0: uh, of dragging the uh, the dew shield around and trying to get yeah. that installed and and doing yeah. all that stuff.
1: I I've never bought one for any of my telescopes. Yeah, yeah well,
0: don't. boy, and when I when I was in Nova Scotia, I mean, man, it was just so so bloody dewy there. And then uh, Ontario, um, the summers weren't bad, but but the shoulder seasons would be really they could be really dewy so uh what i used to do there is i used to take a t-shirt and put the refractor through the t-shirt and then mount it and then i would observe and then if i was taking a break or going to a chart or something i would just pull like the the ends or the sleeves or whatever over the uh over the objective end and the uh, eyepiece to kind of keep uh keep them from from getting that that do in there but here. It 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 up a bit when I came inside, but it's not, it's not as much, as much of an issue, but like, yeah, definitely dust. Like things get dusty. <laughs> like there's a lot yeah, more dust. Yeah, they
1: do. And I think if I had like a, a Kassegrain, um, I'd probably have a dew shield just to, and more so to keep the dust off of the lens, but mm. using a refractor or a Newtonian, it's kind of built in already. And I think, or at least for us, we're okay with that.
0: Yeah, I think the rule is that you're supposed to go two and a half times the diameter of your of your lens, and typically oh. on a refractor, you're about maybe half that at most. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, it's enough because you're trying to create a bubble of of warm air that sort of sits in front of the uh, objective, and then uh, and then the edu doesn't really seem to uh, make its way through that bubble. But here, just having just having really anything seems to be uh, seems to be good enough. But, uh, but yeah, back home, you know, like your, your binoculars would do over, right? Like you'd take, you have to take really? your binoculars. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You'd have to take your binoculars in the car often and hold them up to the, uh, uh to the heater vent. I remember doing that on many, many nights and, sure. oh yeah, you don't, you don't realize and you forget too, right? Like when I go home and, uh, go to a star party or something and, uh, like you just, it just blows me away. Like, you know, same binocular that I'm using out here and, uh, yeah, it becomes unusable after a few hours. So you got to put it in your pocket or get into a car or, um, you know, often I would, I used to, I, and I'd forget this often. I would take two binoculars with me. Like, why do you own two binoculars? Well, so I can observe for more than two hours. Right. So yeah, I know. Yes. You're surprised at this, but, uh, yeah, out East, uh, yeah, not so much. Yeah. Out East, like often are, the do would end the sessions, eh? And you could, um, uh, it was difficult. So so sometimes what I do is I would set up and I would observe, um, once true darkness hit for like 30 or 40 minutes. And then I would cover up, throw like a, like a towel or, or a t-shirt or sweater or jacket or some other things over the telescope and then go and observe through other people's gear for, for an hour or two. And then, um, by that point, for whatever reason, I'm not sure, uh, all the reasons for it. Everybody else seemed to be doing up so bad they were getting shut down and and you could see people were like shutting down and going to bed, even though the sky was actually getting to its best point. And then I would go back and uncover and usually I get about uh, another two or three hours in. So I wouldn't get much more time than they did. But I think um, because I didn't expose my gear to to that critical point in time. Um, it seemed like it would uh, it would go a little bit further. So uh, typically, I wouldn't get locked radio, right but uh, but yeah, uh, definitely here. You know, you could set up a telescope, and you know, our nights are a little bit shorter too. Maybe that makes a difference uh, during the warm season. But
1: uh, anyway, yeah. you know, maybe just while we're on that dew topic, if if people do experience dew issues, um, you know, dew shield is is something we already talked about as a potential solution. Um, But you can buy dew heaters uh, made for telescopes. So it'll be like a Velcro band that you put around the objective. And sometimes you can also put one around your eyepiece. And then you have like a controller that you can, I think, adjust the like the kind of the power going to each one of your strips, which equates to how much heat output there is. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it all obviously connected like a power source, but then it, it applies a li- like just enough heat, um, to keep the dew off, but not, not heat up your optics where you're, you know, uh, creating like tube currents and things like that. So
0: uh, you know, I, that is
1: an option if somebody has, you know, repeated dew issues.
0: Yeah. I've never used them, uh, myself. Um, but the, I did meet one of the inventors or, or I don't know. Like, I I don't know if they were invented and then he just modified it into more of a commercial format. But his name is Mark K K Y E E or K-Y-E, K-A-Y-E. Anyway, and the reason why I say that is that you can actually look up, uh, I don't know if it's still on the internet or not, but he actually put up very specific step-by-step instructions for building your own. And if I'm remembering this correctly, and I could be completely wrong, I believe that he actually uh, either sold or gave away the patent to Kendrick Astro systems, which is a Canadian distributor of um, probably most well-known for the solar filters um, and, a, and a really great company to, uh, to purchase from and work with, although they don't sell too much stuff anymore. I think they, they sell the solar filters and they may still sell those dew systems But I think his is like the base um, configuration for those. But it's, it they actually sell it about what it would cost you to build your own. So anyway,
1: Mm. um, yeah, I've never used them either. Um, I've been around a couple people that have used them. Uh, You know, I think they work okay. My issue for not using them is just again, you and I have talked so much about like a simple setup and you know having to bring more equipment and a power supply just doesn't appeal to me and, no. and at the end of the day with our telescopes we just don't need them here so
0: yeah speaking of power supply I did get my power cable um yeah. from Stefan and uh yeah so Stefan he's he's the proprietor the entrepreneur the the sort of real brains behind um what's now called Astronomy Plus which is one of if if not I, I think it is Canada's largest astronomy retailer I could be wrong there but um as far as I know he definitely has the best selection and I'm not sponsored and uh but I got to say I do I do endorse purchasing uh, from Astronomy Plus because um he's just such a such a great uh store to work with. Yeah, um he's awesome. Yeah, he really is. So I had ordered now I do like the skywatcher stuff and I'm not knocking them it's just they they have such a huge selection. I think it's difficult for every individual to know every product every once in a while there, there's a little bit of a gap. Um, and what happened is I wanted to get a power cable to power my uh, AZ GTI from uh, just the, the outlet on the house so that it, I wasn't burning through batteries or trying to haul battery packs around. And I kind of wanted to be able to set the scope up and just leave it track uh, throughout the evening without, uh, without worrying about uh, batteries. So, so Stefan, he ordered me the power cable from Skywatcher. And when we were ordering it, I said to him, um, it looks like on the website, it's only the part that plugs into the, the power outlet of the home. It, and then it has like the, uh, the little transformer, but it didn't look like it had the power cable that went to the mount. And so I said, when it comes in, like, can you please check it for me? And so uh, his daughter's worker there and, and, uh, and she got it and she checked it and said that it came in, but it didn't have this part, like, what do you want to do? And so then I talked to Stefan and anyway, uh, it took, it took a little while. I mean, he's busy, but he's, he took the time, didn't charge me any of this testing. And, and he tested a whole, he went out to an electronic store and I, I think he's just genuinely interested in astronomy and astronomy gear and he figured out that there was actually an inexpensive mead power plug which actually was way cheaper than any knockoff plugs or anything like that and so he sold that to me i think i found the there was a knockoff plug on amazon it was 45 canadian plus 20 in shipping because it had to come from you know sources unknown i don't know where it was coming from so it's gonna be like around 65 bucks so the one i got from him ended up being about 54 so saved about ten dollars there um, and I think that included shipping. So, uh, you know, kind of hats off to Stefan. Uh, it's always nice when you can save me $10. I did buy a Takahashi telescope from earlier this year. So <laughs> looking to save a few bucks where I can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I look forward to that. I gotta, I gotta get that set up and running. gotta dig out an extension cord here. Uh, but my batteries that my first set of batteries that I put in that easy GTI are still running strong. So I'm kind of surprised good. at that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really surprised at that because that's gotta be 30 hours uh, since I put those in. Yeah. I think I put them in the end of August. It's either the end of August or like the very first or second day of September. And, uh, you know, I've been observing every week, at least once, typically two, sometimes three times. And, uh, typically they're about two hour sessions on average. And, uh, Yeah, now I'm not using a lot of go to every once in a while I just sort of press it to kind of get the telescope the other side of the sky if I'm just lazy or whatever but that's like maybe once every two sessions it's mostly just the tracking but uh, you know it's sitting there tracking for a couple hours uh, every night so that's quite a bit because uh, I had heard that you would go through, uh, it, would, it would take what eight hours and then you'd be burning through your batteries. After I used it for 12 hours, I thought, well, I should buy another set because into the power cable or another set and they're still sitting on the shelf. So so I don't know. I know you and I were chatting at one point in time about me getting a big battery, um, but I don't know that I would do that with the AZ-GTI now. I think I would just take um, a set of batteries with me and not worry about hauling a great big Uh, battery pack, although there could be some other advantages for other charging uh, usages in in the field. So, but it gives me a lot of time to think about that, like over the winter uh, or whatever. So I was surprised at that. I was surprised how long those have gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that, but wow, that's really good. And yeah, if you can get that kind of time uh, out of a set of double A's, hard to argue with that. Um, Yeah the interesting time might be in the winter, you know, like when those batteries get cold, uh, it really doesn't matter what kind of battery you have. Um, the the capacity of it diminishes quite a bit in the cold. Right. So um, yep. a larger pack might might, well, probably would have a little more, I guess, duration, but the other side of that coin is in the winter, you're not out for very long, usually, right? You're <laughs> There you go. Just due to the cold, your your observing sessions are probably half as long anyways.
0: So. Yeah, and a lot of the time I'm probably going to be observing from the yard, so I figure I can just use the the power cord uh, for those times because I do kind of feel bad both spending the money because that power cord cost me three battery packs. The battery packs are just over $15 each. Taxes is shipping in. And uh, so I would go through three of those for one power cord. So uh, really, it's it's a no-brainer. It just sort of seems... Uh, like the more an environmental uh, choice and considering, you know, I'm not driving anywhere. I'm just in my yard. I feel pretty good. uh, Very uh, low carbon footprint uh, in doing it this way. So
1: yeah. 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 Good point. Yeah. uh, Let's
0: see. Yeah. Hey, and uh, you, and thank you so much again for uh, presenting at my astronomy class this week. That was pretty fun.
1: Yeah, it was fun. Um, I said to my wife prior, I said I'm I'm excited to try this because you know I've I've presented at your class many times before, but this is the first time I've done it remotely over a Zoom session. So I said I'm excited to try this just to see how it goes. But you know I had some doubts as to how enjoyable it would be to be honest. Um, Okay, just because one of the things that I really enjoy about Doing those is the engagement and the interaction with people. Yeah, and talking to people. Yeah, yeah. And and I thought over Zoom I would lose a lot of that um, mm-hmm. because, you know, I felt like probably people would just type some questions and you know I wouldn't be able to read faces and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I was completely wrong. It was it was awesome. I really had yeah. a lot of fun. Um, you know, some people uh, chimed in with some comments and questions verbally. They had their cams on. I don't know. I I thought it was really good. And Mm -hmm. the nice thing that I'm finding about um, these Zoom meetings and things that happen, um, like even with our local astronomy club, uh, you have more people participating in these things. Mm -hmm. Like your class had, I think you said 28 people. Yeah. And I think the last time I presented, I think the class size was like 7 or 8 and that night there was only four or five people there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, I know, yeah. Well, so, uh, in full
1: disclosure,
0: that was literally 2 days before they declared it a global pandemic. So, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. there was a few people that were already starting to kind of uh yeah. talk away.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right for sure. Um but yeah I thought it was awesome I enjoyed it uh my apologies for the uh technical difficulties no, not at some all. technical issues Well going, that and then, that again and then my was, presentation just sort of there's some pictures that I didn't fine. download properly so.
0: That's fine you you well illustrated it with your uh with your great descriptions which you do in this podcast already um but yeah the yeah my apologies for that I hadn't tested the zoom first I was told that that link that I sent you just was the link I had checked that out and in, in a way I wasn't that worried but in a way I was like I don't think that link will just work so uh <laughs> the, the they they were very apologetic at, at the university and uh, actually the uh, person in charge of that division actually got on the chat with me personally while you were presenting and uh, was really worried about it, um, so anyway, we ironed out a few things uh, we 're going to give it a test here again in uh, the coming week, but uh, yeah, I really like it. I found the same as you. Um, I guess the one thing I notice because uh, you know i 'm sort of the uh, have done so many of these classes and courses now um, is that In these Zoom sessions, I have uh, several people that have taken the in-class sessions. And I have, uh, the majority of of people have have not. Um, But there is some crossover. Uh, The one thing I do notice is that some of those individuals um, that I do really enjoy interacting with, like before the class starts up, like usually I get there about uh, 20 minutes before the class. And it's great. I'm setting up and we're having conversation. Um, that's all lost. So I kind of miss that. But then, like you noticed, I think that um, some of the individuals, especially newer individuals, um, are less uh, reluctant to to reach out and engage because um, for whatever reasons, they might be individuals that coming to an in-person class didn't work for but they've been really eager to take something like this for, for a long time. So they, uh, they're pretty gung ho and they tend to jump in a little bit uh, quicker and ask questions and engage. So, um, yeah, it, it does like in the future, I think what I want to do is actually split it, maybe even 50 50 or do one or two classes online and then do one of them in person and, and kind of split it up that way, uh, in order to, uh, you know, make sure that everybody is properly engaged in that. Since I do this on a voluntary basis, you know, we're not doing this um, really for, for any money. It, it basically is a cost-covering endeavor. Um, you know, I was thinking that, uh, you know, that, 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 that would be a good way to do it, I think, sort of splitting them up between online and, uh, and off. Because with the online as well, we get people from all over, you know. Like I have uh, some individuals that are in other little towns, communities across our province, Um, and they are, they are really happy not to have to drive in. I had one person who used to drive in a hundred kilometers each direction. So they were always trying to make sure they were teeing up other appointments around the class. And not that I don't think my class is worth driving 200 kilometers (laughs) round trip for, I kind of feel like a little bit bad for that because, well, like again, like that, that person's taking so much extra time and money and, gas and, and all this stuff. So I'm really, really happy that, uh, that it works out a little bit better for, for some of those individuals. So I like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The accessibility is, is amazing.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm going to start doing some more zoom stuff. Apparently I'm going to start, uh, co-hosting or somehow working on the, uh, history committee seminars, which we're going to start, uh, October 26th at the end of this month. Ooh. So there's, that's coming up. So we're going to do them, I think like eight times a year or something. And this is like, I think it's going to be fairly academic, which I'm quite looking forward to. So my understanding is what we're going to do is we're going to take a uh, astronomical artifact and there's going to be some, something written up about, I'm not doing this part because I'm not a historian, but but there's a historian that I work with and, uh, and he's going to generate some documentation and, And research around it that's going to be distributed to uh to a broader group of a of a few dozen individuals and then we're going to come together and 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 discuss basically so that should be interesting yeah i'm kind of interested in
1: that yeah yeah well it'll keep you busy
0: yeah might as well might as well you know (laughs) so yeah good stuff good stuff well shane have we chatted enough for this one
1: Yeah, I think let's call it an episode.
0: Okay, well, how can people stay in
1: touch with us? Uh, People can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy. Uh, You can leave comments on any of the podcasting apps or you can email us. Uh, We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. All right, well, thanks so much, Shane. Thank you, Chris, and thanks to everybody for listening.